Montebello Church Sermons. Uh, my name is Dave All. If you if you don't know, I am a member at Montevilla Baptist Church, and I have the privilege of preaching you uh, to you this morning. Uh, we are discussing the Book of Ephesians, and this morning, or this evening, I guess, depending on when you guys get this, uh, we are going through the first three verses of chapter two of Ephesians. And I just want to read those to you really quickly and move forward with discussion. I am hoping and praying it will be enlightening and enriching to all of us, including myself. Uh, Ephesians two verses one through three says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Those are the verses. And it's kind of difficult to actually preach on these, because as believers, in many ways, they no longer apply to us. And so what my attempt and what my hope is this morning or this evening, excuse me, is to see if more than that, I can actually preach around them. And uh, really because um, the passage in and of itself is kind of depressing if you just take it at face value. Uh, essentially, there's a point in time where we all were dead in our sin, where we didn't follow Jesus, but we followed the, uh, you know, the ruler of this world. God was essentially mad at us, and it would be difficult to follow Jesus based on just this passage. But what this passage really is, is it's a hinge point. It is, uh, it's the I would say it's the Empire Strikes Back of passages. Uh, you know, it's all the worst things that happen right before the great stuff. Uh, you know, the Rebel Alliance is on the run. Luke just lost his hand and found out that his dad is really terrible. Uh, and, of course, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. All of those things are terrible, but those were not the end of that story. Uh, you had a whole, at least, well, you had like four more movies after that. But that's the hinge point of the Star Wars saga. That's where everything is at its worst before it turns to the better. And that's what this passage is. This isn't the end of the story. And frankly, it's not even the beginning of the story. If we want, if you have uh, been studying with us um, through the book of Ephesians, you know that there's a whole chapter before this that in which Paul goes into uh, the blessings that we receive in Jesus. And I want to summarize uh, a number of these blessings, but I also want to bring to light that these blessings aren't new. This is Paul was not teaching anything new. The Old Testament spoke about these centuries, if not millennia, before Paul actually uh, preached them to the Ephesian church. And so I want to start with verse uh, three of chapter one, and I just want to summarize it really quick. 
And then I also want to compare it with some Old Testament passages. So Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This should be great news. Uh, and it is, it's comparable to Genesis chapter 12, which says, and uh, this is God speaking to Abram, and he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors I will curse and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the blessing that we receive in Jesus isn't just a blessing for an individual. It's not a selfish blessing. It is a holistic blessing. It's a blessing that we receive in order to pass on. Uh, verse 4 of Ephesians 1 says this, Even as he chose us, this was his promise, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Exodus 19, 3 through 6 is similar, and it's, he says it this way. God says it, Thus you shall, be, you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the... Tell the people Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God has chosen us, he's loved us, he's blessed us, and he's chosen us in order to be his holy nation. We are to be blameless before him. That's nothing that we can do. That's only what he can do in us and through us. Uh, verse 5 says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his purpose and will, in which Deuteronomy 7, 7, and 8 says, it was not because you were more in number or stronger than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of peoples, you were the weakest, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. So God not only chose us, but beforehand he predestined us, uh, not because of anything that we have done, but because of the fact that he loved us and he promised to choose us. And then lastly, and this is my favorite, is verse 7 through 14 of chapter 1. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. In him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13, In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, Who is the guarantee of, the, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, so we are promised redemption. We are promised the Holy Spirit. We are promised forgiveness. All of these things. This is not a new promise. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28, which even promises the Holy Spirit says this. This is beautiful because this was the promise to the Jewish people that they could hold on to. And once Christ came, once he died, once he was resurrected, once the Holy Spirit came, they could look back on this passage and say, 
Oh, this is the promise. It says this in verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. So the first chapter of Ephesians gives us these reaffirmed promises and it's directly directed mainly to the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians. But for the Jews, these promises were fulfilled in Jesus. But the rest of us, the rest of the world didn't even know about these promises when they came. We were dead in our sins. We were uh, by nature children of God, of God's wrath, as the passage tells us. But just as the first chapter of Ephesians reveals to the Jews all of God's promises and that they're fulfilled through Jesus, so chapter 2 reveals to the rest of us that those same promises apply to us as well. Remember, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 is a hinge point. Verse 4 says this, so we get all the bad stuff. You were dead. You were um, separated from God. You were children of wrath. But verse 4 says this, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even as we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2 and 3 is the hinge that reminds us who we are, where we come from, but sets us up for what is to come. The great things, the great promises that are to come to us through Jesus. We were dead in our sins. We carried out the desires of our own flesh. We were children of God's wrath, but our story never ends there. We are blessed. We are chosen. We are adopted into God's family. We are redeemed. We are sealed with his Holy Spirit, and we are united together. That's the important thing. We are united together in Christ. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, many of us say we're redeemed followers of Jesus, that that story, that verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, that story is in the past, but we live like it's in the present. We say we follow God, but at the first time, at the first sign of hardship, we start blaming him for things that are going on, or maybe we we instead of blaming him, we blame ourselves. God's cursing us for the things that are happening. We say we follow Jesus, but maybe we become offended or indignant the moment that we don't get what we want, the moment that maybe people hurt us, or we think we deserve something and we don't receive it. 
Maybe we believe we have the Holy Spirit, but we ingest more news or more information online than we do actually listening to his word. Or we say we're united in Christ only as long as we agree with one another politically. If someone has a disagreement with us, we, we don't bring them into our sphere of fellowship because maybe we hold them at arm's length and say that they're the enemy. In essence, oftentimes we are living as if Ephesians 1 through 3 is the end of the story. And so as followers of Jesus, what can we do? Or I guess a better question is, as followers of Jesus, how do we live out who we are? Um, how do we live as if Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is the past and not the present or the future. Well, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, when, G, when Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to repent and believe. So the first thing that we have to do is repent of our old life. That doesn't just mean saying sorry. Um, repentance is the process of turning away from the old life and walking in the new. Uh, during this time of COVID, where we were so separated and so isolated, uh, this was probably the most difficult time um, in Kate, my wife's, and I's marriage. Man, we really, really struggled. We were struggling with our own pride. We were struggling with our own selfishness. We were struggling with um, just being in disagreement with one another. And I know for myself, there was a point in time where I had to repent. I had to go and I had to say, I'm sorry. And I had to say, I needed to change. And I had to move forward, not thinking about my own interests, not thinking about my own hurt, but laying those aside and then picking up Kate and and looking out for her needs, looking out the, for the needs of my children. And, uh, you know, I still don't always succeed at that, but but that is the goal and the hope is that we draw closer together when I'm not worrying about my own needs, but I'm giving up my own needs. I'm repenting from my own needs and I'm picking up something else. If you are mad at God for what he's done, change, change by thanking him for what he's provided. He's given us all things, including trials, to strengthen us and draw us closer. James 1, 2 through 4 tells us this. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And, that, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials have a purpose unto themselves, and they are to draw us into more Christ-likeness. We draw, we are to draw closer to God through trials, and we are to become more like God through trials. And that's the purpose, and we should give thanks for that. Um, if you're easily offended by how people treat you, Repent by looking for ways to serve others, especially those who are offensive to us. 
Matthew 5, 43 through 45 tells us, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. If you're being influenced by the world more than you are by Jesus, repent not just by reading the word, but by looking for ways to live it out in your life. Uh, Matthew 7, 24 and 25 says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We oftentimes look to maybe the news, we look to uh, the media, we look to um, other people, we look to uh, influencers, we look to um, the people around us to um, teach us, to guide us. And a lot of times, maybe they're wise, maybe they're smart, but they're not Jesus. They're not the Holy Spirit. They're not the Word of God. And, and the challenge is, is um, it's easy to read the Word of God. It is difficult to put it into practice, but that's what God calls us to do. If we're um, wanting to draw closer to God, if we're wanting to change our narrative from being children of wrath to being children of God, it takes not just reading the Bible, but putting it into practice. That's when the Word of God truly becomes alive. And if you've allowed yourself to be disunified with other believers, whether it's based on political stance or denomination or ethnicity or social status, uh, you can repent by actively seeking unity. Um, some examples, you know, visit, visit a church from a different denomination. Um, or maybe one that is predominantly of an ethnicity that is different than your own. Um, have a conversation with someone who doesn't believe the same things you do and listen to their point of view. I'm very good at having conversations with people um, who don't view my point of view. I have a more difficult time listening to them. But that's what God calls us to do, is to show empathy, to show compassion, to listen where people are at, and to build them up and live out what Jesus has called us to do. Try to understand why they believe what they believe, and then try to find common ground. Ultimately, the people of God are called by the Holy Spirit to live into the present power and future hope of who we are in Christ, uh, not in the bondage of who we were without him. Many people um, want to follow Jesus as long as Jesus fits their mold of um, what a relationship of God is. And what I mean by that is uh, oftentimes we follow Jesus as long as it's convenient. Um, I will pray to Jesus if I need something to be provided for. I will uh, read uh, the Word of God maybe if I need advice about my job or about my family or whatever. 
um, it becomes more difficult to uh, walk in who we are in Jesus, knowing that it takes work to live out being a child of God. It takes work um, living out uh, being um, part of the people of God versus being the people of wrath. It's easy to be separated from God. It's difficult to be drawn closer to him. But may we be a people, uh, both Anglos and Hispanic, who are seeking God's best, not just for us, but for one another as well. Uh, and so um, I apologize for not really preaching well through the passage that we have, but um, I wanted to bring hope. I wanted to give us an opportunity to reflect on what God has promised us, all of the blessings, all of the goodness, all of who we are in Christ. And I want to challenge us, not just as individuals, not just as a Hispanic church, but as a church and as the church of Christ to be a people who are seeking the blessings, who are walking into the blessings. Um, sometimes that means we have to walk through trial into re in, until we receive the blessings, um, or I should say we have to walk through trial until we see the evidence of blessings, but they're there. They're always there. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you not to forget that, but to walk in them, knowing that you are blessed. You have received God's goodness, his free gift of salvation, his um, his adoption into his family. You have received his inheritance. You have all of those things. And so we should be thankful and grateful and full of joy and excited uh, for what the day has for us because we know that the Lord has blessed us more than we can ever imagine. But it takes work sometimes to understand that, to believe that, to live into it, to walk by faith, and to allow God to mold us and to perfect us into who he has called us to be. But may we allow that to happen through his grace. Let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love and your delight in your people. And even when there are times when we are struggling and um, hurting, um, Lord, when we are bitter, uh, Lord, when we are defensive or indignant, um, God, there are times where we might even be mad at you or we might hold people at a distance because of what they believe or how they act. God, may you make us aware of those things. May we lay our hearts before you and we ask that you transform our hearts in order that we can see those elements, change them, so that we're not walking in who we were. We are not walking as if we were children of wrath, but we are walking as people who have been transformed into your likeness, who have been brought into your family, who have been sealed by your spirit to your glory, to your immense pleasure, 
through your glorious Son, Jesus Christ, that you might be honored and glorified, that your people might not just claim your name, but they can reflect who you are to the nations through your power for your glory. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. Montebello Church Sermons.